Leaders help us see the true potential we have in ourselves. Oftentimes, that potential is something we feel we cannot reach, but the best leaders show us how we can. In this conversation, we sat down with William Attaway, author of the book Catalytic Leadership, and we talked about how people become leaders, how society perceives work and leadership, how leaders get the most out of the people that they lead, and the power of family and the people that we love. Get ready to take in some great leadership perspective that William has to offer and sit back and enjoy. Because I can't help you at that point. You have to want to move. You have to want to change. Everybody wants to grow. A friend of mine says this all the time. Everybody wants to grow and nobody wants to change. I, I get that. You know what, though? Growth only happens on the other side of change. Well, Tyler, I, William and I were talking about coaching before you hopped on, and I kind of got an idea of how he's progressed over the past 15 plus years. Nice. Um, but I, I mean, you kind of talked a little bit about it, but what what got you into coaching? Was there a moment that was like, I need to help people. I need to like direct them or, or help guide them in some way. Did you have a moment like that that spurred you or, I don't know, pushed you into coaching? I don't know that I'd call it a moment as much as a, as a, a slow process, a slow awakening, if you will. Uh, of of understanding a, a very simple truth, but sometimes it takes me a little longer to grab the simple. The the simple truth is this: that that you do not grow up one day and say, "Hey, I'm a fully developed leader." How did that happen? I didn't mean for that to happen, but here I am. You you don't wake up like that. Right. It's it's a process. It takes time, and it takes intentionality. It's a choice, a decision that you make, and so. That's part of it is that intentional choice, but part of it too is the people around you who are helping you move from where you are to where you can be, where you want to be. And that's the power of community. And this is this is one of the things that I've been able to benefit from. I went to my first leadership conference when I was 15 years old Ooh, because nice. I had a high school teacher who saw something in me that I did not see in myself. And he invited me to go and I hopped a plane and I went and I heard and I learned about leadership in a way I'd never heard before. And I was hooked. I would not be where I am were it not for him. And I could point to so many people along the way who have poured into and invested in me. And I'm a firm believer that every experience is important. There is no such thing as a wasted experience. And every person who invests in you and pours into you, that's not just for you. That's also for the benefit of those around you. And you have a choice, just like you choose to be intentional you have a choice. Will I just be a reservoir of all that's been invested in me, of all that I've learned? Or will I be a conduit of it and begin to take what is poured into me and share that with other people for their benefit as well? And so that 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 was a process, but that's why I coach, because I want to help leaders get better. I want to help them because when you help a leader get, get, you help a leader get better, I love what Craig Groeschel says about this. Everybody benefits. Like everyone they lead benefit, their company, their department, their team, they benefit. The organization's mission and purpose, it benefits because that leader got better. That's why I pour myself into helping leaders get better. That's awesome. So that that like first session when you were 15, was that something through your church? Or was that like, like I went to a Tony Robbins event. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was kind of my moment for that, that yeah. pushed me into coaching. What, what type of event was this? It was in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. It was the, I think it was called the Valley Forge Youth Leadership Conference. And it was just high school students from all over the country who went there and learned about leadership, looking at the principles from Valley Forge, uh, from, huh. from Washington at Valley Forge and so many things. And man, it was just, it was captivating to see what good leadership looked like. Now, now, was Washington perfect? Of course not. But the leadership that he exemplified during that season, that was formative, not just for him and the people that he led, but for the country. 
And we still are beneficiaries because of what happened at Valley Forge. That's excellent. That's so cool. I didn't even realize that that was a thing. Like that. I didn't either. <laughs> yeah. Until <laughs> I went. <laughs> yeah. I wish I knew about stuff like that. I mean, the, the only reason why I went to that Tony Robbins event was because my mom had been listening to Tony Robbins and she went to an event. And she's like, listen, I learned so much stuff about leadership, life, whatever it may be. I want you to learn it, you know, earlier on in life. And I, sounds like you went to one of those things in like high school. That, that needs to be like standard curriculum. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, to your point, if it was, we would be cultivating leaders more, yes. more often. And those leaders would be having positive impacts on their community. And that just keeps going. The more you teach them, the more you bring out. So it does. Need to get a petition going on that one. I'll sign. Bring it on. Yeah, no doubt. That'd be great. I mean, because like our our school system teaches, you know, we cultivate laborers, right? Yes. People right. to follow orders, follow directions. You know, we're not cultivating leaders like like you guys just said. And I feel like because of that, there's like this notion or mentality where you have to be uh, X amount of years in the game before we'll give you those leadership responsibilities or those qualities. And I know one of the, one of the guys I always look to uh, when talking about leadership is Jocko Willink, you know, when he talks about his book, we were talking about it over the, over the phone, you know, his extreme ownership, you know, that idea of decentralized command, giving people more responsibility to be able to make their own decisions, to be able to buy in to what the organization wants to do as a whole or whatever the, the entity is that, that you're talking about. And when you have that, it's just every, everything just multiplies. And it's just, I don't know what the deal is with a lot of the companies or a lot of uh, organizations that lack good leadership. They just like want to hoard all the responsibility. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand why you'd want to do that. Cause doesn't your job get easier if you kind of let other people take the reins? I think it's insecurity. I think people Ooh. people get incredibly insecure about the idea of sharing a, a source of power for them, which is what they do. And if you begin to share that, well, all of a sudden you're not the oracle at Delphi. You're not the the all-knowing right. wizard behind the curtain, right? Now all of a sudden mm. you're a person and they see that in a different way. I think a lot of it is insecurity. I think That's part of point. it's also systematic too. I think we don't have systems in place to help people understand the importance of shared leadership. I think leaders forget what I think is one of the core pieces, the core elements of leadership, which is the fact that our job as leaders is not to tell people what to do. (laughs) I think a lot of people think that's what a leader does. They tell people what to do. No, that's not leadership. That's something else. Leadership is equipping and investing in and empowering other people to achieve what is in them. That's our job. That's what we get to do as leaders. When they win, we win. When you begin to invest in people and see them as 3D human beings, not just cogs in a machine, not just task monkeys, when you actually invest in them and see them as 3D people, you know what they do? They lean in and they give you more than you ever got out of them before. And that organization just skyrockets in productivity. That's not why you do it. You do it because it's the right thing to do because they matter. They're valuable. And when you invest in them, you show them that they're valuable. You give them your most valuable resource, the one non-renewable resource you have, your time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's great. You, I didn't even think about that. It was all like self-esteem and how, how people thought about themselves and they want to control that power. I mean, it, it makes sense because I saw that all over the place. I just don't understand why people can't take a second to think and realize, hey, if everyone was just a little bit better, <laughs> my business would be better and everyone would yeah. be, you know, not have to do as much work and things would be more efficient. There is, is that like a society thing? Where does, where does that come from? Have you seen like a common answer when you, whenever you ask people about that, where the self-esteem power dynamic comes from? I think I think part of it is they're they're following what was modeled for them. 
they're just simply carrying it on. You know, you've heard, you've heard the adage, I'm sure that, that kids don't do what we say, they do what we do, right? Mm-hmm. They follow the pattern that we lay out for them, which is why it's so important that we don't just give the words, but we do the actions with our kids. But guess what? That's how society works too. And the people who mentored and trained you in what you do, that's how you do it. Maybe not exactly. Maybe you've made it a little better, made it a little more you. But in large part, you're doing it like the people who trained you. Well, how do you lead? How do you learn to lead? You follow the examples of the leaders that you had. If you had great leaders who invested and poured into you, guess what? You're more likely to do that. But most people don't. Most people have a different kind of leader. And and they're just going to follow the path of least resistance, which is to, to do what they saw. Does that, does that come from like a World War II kind of militaristic type thing? Does it come from like um, some type of family dynamic where the, the husband or wife is always like commanding and telling people what to do? And so growing up, that's what people see. And then that's what they take into the workplace. And to your point, unless they had like a leader in their community or in their home, they're not going to learn or see that example of leadership. Like, like, I I don't know. That's, that's what my mind goes to is when I think about why we don't see that more often, why there aren't more leaders and why people want to retain that feeling of power. Um, I also, I also think it's because they don't realize how good it feels to give it away. Yes. Yes. They've never experienced that. There is nothing like investing in somebody else and watching them succeed. There's nothing like that. Because when they succeed, you know, you got to have a small part of that and they're celebrating and you are celebrating with them and for them. There's nothing like that. By contrast, when you're just sitting in a corner office, firing off emails, telling everybody what to do, not exactly what I would call rewarding. (laughs) (laughs) No. Why, why is that? And, and I, I mean, I like what Tyler said earlier. I think, I think you look at our school system, you look at our, our society, our culture, so much is, is around conformity. We value conformity. We reward conformity. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> no. Conformity is the fast track to mediocrity. Ooh. You know, if you want to look yes. at something, something that is different, it's not going to conform to what has been. That's where great leaps are made. When the iPhone came out, there was nothing, it was nothing like the iPhone. Yep. Nothing like it. It was a leap. You have to break the status quo. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I'm I'm all about that. Sorry, go ahead, Ty. Oh, you're good. One of the one of the things I always look at, you know, whenever to get on the the topic of leadership is uh, Simon Sinek's book, Start with Why. Yes. And it, to me, that, that was something that I I think the first time I saw him, it was like a clip of him talking about that on a, on a Ted talk or something, I think. And I was like, I got to read this book because it was just, it was a cool concept that I had never really thought of. Like, you know, the, all the, the small circles and kind of reversing what we usually would think is starting with you know what or the how or whatever the progression is but when you go with why and we had a great example of this at work last week i'm not going to bore bore you guys with that but it's it's just interesting how you can see like the light bulb go off in people's eyes when you tell them instead of like you were saying william directing or ordering them to carry out the task you explain like, this is the bigger picture of what's happening. And even though it's a small mundane golf course task, golf course job kind of thing, they, they get some ownership of that and they get that understanding of this is, this is why these guys are telling me to do it this way. Even though I might think that my way is better. There's a specific reason why this is happening. And I guess my roundabout question is, is how, how do you, how do you teach that to somebody like not, not teach it to an employee? Like you have to start with asking why, but how do you teach that to a, an up and coming leader or somebody in a, in a managerial role to be able to convey that to somebody without getting all 
jumbled and and not being able to clearly articulate what the the kind of mission statement of the organization is? I think that's a fantastic question, Tyler. I think that we have to start with understanding what the main thing is. And I think that's a conversation that has to be perpetually had. I'm thinking of a, of a conversation I had earlier today, actually, uh, on a Zoom call. It was a one-on-one with one of, one of my direct reports. And, and she was asking me a question about a decision that we've got coming up. It's, it's, it's something happening this fall. And I feel strongly about it. And I said so at a meeting, very careful the words that you say and when you say them. And I'm constantly reminded of this. Uh, and and she was very gently pushing back on that a little bit and saying, I'm not sure the timing is right to make that decision. And I've created a culture intentionally that I want people to have the freedom and not just the freedom, but I, I want to hear when there's a contrary opinion. I want to hear that because I think there's great value and power in that. And I said, I said, okay, well, you didn't say anything when I said that. And you didn't say anything in the meeting. And she said, well, I just thought, you know, you said, you know, there was a reason to do this. And I thought, okay, well, I'll just trust that that reason is right. I said, no, (laughs) stop right there. Okay, right there. No, no. And we took a few minutes to talk through why that was not a good plan. (laughs) Don't just trust that I know what I'm doing. Okay. Mm -hmm. I am fallible. I make mistakes just like everybody else. And sometimes I can get the same tunnel vision, but I'm taking time to pour into and invest in her so that she understands that going forward so that she doesn't need me to make that decision next time. I want her to be able to do that. That's a, that's a choice that I'm making, but that takes time. The easy course is just to say, nope, this is what we're doing. This is where we're going. We're done. It takes much less time, but it doesn't teach her what she needs to know to be able to lead effectively into the future, whether she's on my team or whether she's going to be leading her own team one day. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it's the, the the law of sowing and reaping, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think full participation in evaluation, in discussion, in planning, and in decision making matters. Sometimes I got to make a call. That's the point leader's job. Fair enough. But we are going to have talked about it and evaluated it and looked at every side of it together, so that nobody is confused about why we're making that decision. To your point, the why matters, mm-hmm. and when we have full buy-in. We're going to walk out together. Now, sometimes somebody still is going to disagree, but they're never going to be confused as to why we made that decision. That's a good point. That's, um, God, I was too busy listening to you talk and I forgot what I was going to say next. Yeah, that was good. Too too busy learning. Probably too many words, guys. I'm sorry. No, no, no. No, no, no. That's... Definitely not too many words. I think you're you're describing it well, and you're you're making us think. Because mm-hmm. I I mean, I'm starting to think of different scenarios, and I mean, you brought up um, you brought up the fact that you're not perfect, and I <laughs> I, I mean, like, but I'm with you. Like I I totally know that I am an imperfect human. I know that we are all imperfect humans, but for some strange reason. I get the feeling that society or a lot of people within society think that there are perfect air quotes, perfect Mm -hmm. people out there. And they try and emulate that and they take that same mindset into the workplace too. So that's where you get into the, Oh, everything I have to say or everything I say has to be perfect. All my emails have to be perfect All my projects, blah, blah, blah. blah. And you, you don't communicate with other people. You don't ask for feedback. You don't try and just do something knowing that you might fail. Like there's, there's too much restriction when you're thinking like that. How do we get everyone to realize that nobody's perfect? (laughs) Well, good luck with that one. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure we're going to get there. I think individually though, we can look at this and say, am I spending more time than I should be on image management? Am I creating a, a persona online in particular that is really just my highlight reel? Um, that it does not portray me as a, as a fallible person, just like everybody else. Um, or am I painting a picture that is unrealistic? And I think, you know, you don't have to spend a whole lot of time on Instagram or social media to see the unrealistic pictures of people's lives. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. And guess what? Leaders are not immune to that, right? We will paint those same pictures organizationally or on our team or our department or with those closest to us. We will paint this picture but those closest to us are going to see right through it. 
right? Your yep. your 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 family, <laughs> they they see behind the highlight reel, right? When you're able to bring that same real, transparent, authentic you into the workplace, I'm not talking about inappropriate authenticity or transparency. Oh, yeah. I'm, t- I'm talking about the the kind that you need, where people understand that hey, you know what? I don't always get it right, and that's why we're part of a team so that we can help each other and. And, you know, cover each other's weaknesses and bolster each other's strengths. That's the value of a team. And if we're not leading in teams, we are seriously missing, I think, one of the greatest tools in the tool bag. Big time. I mean, like we were talking about earlier, I feel like this the leadership topic should be something that is required in schools because, unfortunately, not everyone is going to choose to play sports because exactly. that's, that's another great place where we're anyone can learn that aspect of team for me i played football for eight years basically and so like i always i have like that same mindset when i go into like a a work environment or whatever i'm thinking okay i'm doing my job but they're helping with this this other people helping with this we got the manager you know team captain or coach over here but i realized after way too long in the corporate world not everyone sees it that way right right that's tough it, it is, it is, but that doesn't mean we can't take what we've learned and bring it in. You don't have to have the corner office or the title to lead. Very really. true. Leadership yep. is, Maxwell's right, leadership is influence. Nothing more, nothing less. Do you have influence with your coworkers, with your peers? Yes. Do you have influence with people that you lead? Yes. Do you have influence with the people who lead you? Yes. All three of those look different but you still have influence. Are you leveraging it intentionally for the benefit of those around you? This is my question. That's a good question. Hmm. Well, I feel like that's what we're trying to do here with conversations like this. And I mean, our podcast isn't huge. We're, we're trying to create a repository of, great perspectives and great feedback and just things that will help people. Right. And that's, that's not perfect. That's going to take some time to cultivate. And I think we're, we're okay with that. We're, we're on a journey. All right. With the imperfections involved to all that. But what you just said is the key. You understand that you're on a journey and your goal is not just seeing how big can I build my thing. Mm Mm-hmm. The question is, how can I help other people with what I'm learning along the way? Yeah, that's that's the win. And that's so, where you gain that the influence from, you know, you have to attain that influence before you can throw it up the chain of command down the chain of command either way. And the and I can't remember who or wh- whose idea this was or where I read this or whatever, but it was from. Uh, I believe it was a book. Um, I don't know if it was a Maxwell or Covey thing, but they talked about like glass house mentality or glass house leadership. And I think that's one of the best ways that you can actually gain that influence is you don't have that other side of you that your family just sees, you know, you don't have that alter ego that is totally different coming into the office or whatever your organization is. And because I think people can smell that and they see right through that when oh, you're yeah. not being genuine. And it was, it's just an interesting uh, aside to be just being able to cultivate and gain that influence with people is just, you have to be in today's day and age. I think uh, you have to be authentic. I agree. And I think it's important that you're authentically you. You know, Correct. young leaders will often, and I was guilty of this early on too, we, we, we tend to look at people we admire and we emulate them, right? We, we, we try to do what they do and talk like they talk and even sometimes dress like they dress, right? And that's normal when you're starting and you're trying to figure out how to get your sea legs. The problem is when you stay there. When you stay there, you end up just becoming a bad copy of a great leader yeah. <laughs> instead of leading out of your own wiring. The truth is every one of us has a unique wiring. And this is one of the things I talk about in the book that 
that your wiring is made up of your gifts, your passions, your talents, your skills, your personality. All of this mixes together to form your wiring. But your wiring is different than mine. Mine's different than yours. And so I think it's important for leaders first to discover their wiring first, how they are wired so they can lead out of that. Then begin to discover the wiring of the people that they lead. Your direct reports. Why? So you can so you can learn how to manipulate them? No. So you can learn how to empower them and encourage them and equip them based on how they're wired. And I got to tell you, when you do that, you catapult them. You catapult their effectiveness. You catapult their productivity. And you catapult their sense of value as a person and to the organization. You're saying some super impactful stuff after I felt like... Damn. <laughs> I mean, I'm standing on the shoulders of giants and you should know that like there's, there's so much that, that I have learned and been poured into over the last 30 plus years. I see a lot of the giants behind you on that bookshelf. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the shelves are sagging. <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing. That's awesome. I have a little bit of a reading problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good Reader, problem. To readers have. are leaders. I've, mm-hmm. I've heard that. That's uh... <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> a bunch of times. So t- talking about wiring, um, I'm kind of, I'm looking at your, uh, your book website here. And one of the bullet points you have is the tragedy of unrealized and unacted upon potential. Mm-hmm. How, how would you go about addressing that or how would you go about saying to somebody how to how how to guide them to not have that happen to themselves because i think that is all too common that we we are all created and we are all made to be exceptional we are all supposed to do something impactful and powerful and I think just too many people don't understand that or they don't believe it. They don't think that they were actually meant to do something other than punch a clock for 75 years. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you, how do you break that cycle or how do you go about that? You know, that word potential is such a double-edged sword. <laughs> you know, when you're 15 years old and somebody says, I see potential in you, that feels pretty good. <laughs> Like it really does. Yeah. <clears throat> when you're 45 or 50 or 55 and somebody says, man, I used to see potential in you. Mm. What, what happened? <laughs> yeah. That hits Four, different. That's, 25 that, years that went by. Same word, but man, that doesn't feel so good. Yeah. What happened? And, and, and exactly like, like you said, so many people, that's their story. They felt like they had potential. Somebody called it out. Somebody spoke to it at one point in their lives and then 30, 40, 50 years passed and nothing ever happened with it. They never, they never did anything with it. And I think that's the key there. There has to be action associated with potential. If, if, if nothing happens, potential is never activated. How do you activate that? Is it ever too late? And this is one of the things that I talk with leaders about that, that have regrets that look back and say, I wish I would have, could have, should have, you know, Okay helpful to learn from the past. Please do not live in it. That is not helpful. (laughs) Okay. You can't change the past. Not despite all of the many works of fiction that we have seen on screen and in books, (laughs) you cannot change the past. (laughs) Not yet anyway. So if that's true and we know it is, what can I change? You can change the present and you can change the future. Okay. So what do I want to be true in my life 10 years from now? What do I want to be true in my life 20 years from now? Can I do something today to begin to move toward that? In fact, if you don't, that won't happen. It won't. You're not going to wake up one day and figure out, oh, all of a sudden my potential was realized. All of a sudden my dreams came true. It doesn't work like that. (laughs) You start today. And this this is where I'll take leaders and I'll move them into the action steps. First, define where you are today. Okay, this is not the life you thought you would be living 30, 40 years ago. Okay, fair enough. Let's define that. Now, what's the life that you feel like is inside of you? What's the passion? What's the dream? What's the the vision of what could be and should be? What's your unique contribution to that? And we paint that picture. And once we define that, 
Then it's simply a matter of connecting those two places. How do you move from here to there? Then it's simply a matter of building the steps. That's a whole lot easier once you define it. For too many people, this, the there, is so nebulous and so ill-defined. There is such a lack of clarity around that. You're never going to hit a bullseye if you don't have one. Yeah, because a lot of their attention, to your point, is focused on the past or the decisions past. that they've messed up on. Yep. You made me you made me think of a, a quote that I, I said to a client recently talking about regret and things like that. And the quote goes, no amount of regret can change the past and mm. no amount of anxiety can change the future. <laughs> well, so good. And so, <laughs> so I good. mean, to your point, once you get people to realize that and just yeah. focus on the goal, that's awesome. Cause I, I definitely know some people in my own life and I've passed by people that have been the, you know, clock in clock out for 30 years type person. And I, I just want to like shake those people like, what are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) And you can't, and I can't either. We can't shake them. They gotta, they gotta wake up themselves. Yeah. We, we can help them. We can point them if they're teachable, but a teachable spirit is not something that everybody has. And that's, that's something else that I actually want to ask. Like, do you, how many of those unteachable spirits do you come across? Do you find that most everyone is pretty open to learning about different coaching and and things like that? Or do you get some just really stubborn, I don't care, I don't want to learn type people? (laughs) And I wish I could tell you that everybody has a teachable spirit. They do, they do not. Um, with, with what I do with leadership and executive coaching, the, the, the thing that I will often say, well, actually I'll always say with, when I'm doing a discovery call with a potential client is I'll talk about the importance of a learning posture, a teachable spirit and how that is the single non-negotiable for us to work together. Really? That's, that's it. Like, that's the one thing I ask everything else we will work on everything else I will help you with. But a teachable spirit is a non-negotiable. And the minute, the minute I realize this person doesn't have that, it's time to start tying a bow on this and saying, I think, I think we're done. Because I can't help you at that point. You have to want to move. You have to want to change. Everybody wants to grow. A friend of mine says this all the time. Everybody wants to grow and nobody wants to change. I, I get that. You know what? Though growth only happens on the other side of change. It only does. So if you don't want to change anything, I can't help you. Yeah. Yeah. Even, even Tony Robbins attacks uh, some clients that way. Like he, he'll have super wealthy clients that come to him and they're like, I'll pay you a million dollars for coaching. And he's like, if you are not actually willing to change and going to do this, I'm not going to coach you. I don't care how much money you're going to give me. Yeah. So that's, that's a great point. Yeah, you have to have that learning spirit, or else, or or that just open mind and open perspective, or else, yeah. What's the point? That's the point. Wow, saying a lot of good lines here. You're making me think. <laughs> I hope it's helpful. <laughs> it really. I I think anyone who listens to this is gonna. There's too many nuggets. Like there's mm. too many good nuggets that I think people can take away and and plug into their own lives. But mm. again, they have to, they have to be honest with themselves. They have to be yes. honest with their surroundings, with their situation. They have to be okay with the decisions that they've made that have led them to this point in life. And they right. have to be open to doing something drastically different, maybe to get the results that they want. So absolutely. It's uh keep all these nuggets coming. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it looks like family is something that you're big on um, and it's something that you touch on in the book. Is that something that you usually tie in with your leadership coaching as well? Not only imagine like our family outside of work, but in, in, in a way like at work and any place that we spend ample time, like we have a little bit of a family there as well. What, what, what uh, or how big of a role does family play in coaching? In the book, I talk about this, that that one of the principles, I think, for a leader to move into a catalytic leadership space 
is to be choose to be family focused. And, and what I mean by that is you start with an understanding that one day somebody else is going to sit in your chair. One day somebody else is going to hold the title that you hold. You're not going to do what you're doing for the next thousand years. I think everybody can, can understand and agree with that at some level. Yeah. One day when you're not in that chair and you don't hold that title, then what? Then what? The people who are closest to you are still going to be there, hopefully. Then what? If you have set as your ultimate win, your ultimate priority, winning in the office, winning at work, and you have neglected those relationships, and at the end of your life, then what? By virtue of what I do, I've spent a lot of time with people at the end of their lives. And you know what I've never heard in all of those conversations? I've never once heard anybody say, I wish I had spent more time at the office. I wish that I had just achieved more of those KPIs. If only those achievements and those awards and accomplishments had mounted up just a little bit higher. I've never heard anybody say that. You know what I hear instead? I hear regrets around relationships conversations that were never had, time that wasn't spent with those closest to them. That's what I hear. We get, we get to learn from that. I mean, I hate it every time I hear it, but we get to learn from that. We don't have to make all the mistakes ourselves. We can listen and learn from stories like that and avoid those ditches for our story. I think part of being a catalytic leader is choosing to be family focused, realizing that the relationships closest to you are those that matter most. This was, this was driven home to me in a, in a very real way a few years ago. In March of 2019, my older daughter, who was 14 at the time, started having headaches. And she, uh, she was about the age I was when I started having migraines. And so we thought, well, maybe she's developing that. So take her to the doctor and get some medicine and that whole bit. And it just didn't, she couldn't shake it. And over time, a few weeks go by, we keep going back to the doctor and ultimately they do an MRI and discover that she has a, a brain tumor on the back right side of her brain. Well, I got to tell you, that was not anything I had calendared for 2019. Wow. <laughs> that was not on the plan. Yeah. Um, no history, no, no, nothing. We, none of us saw that coming. So they, they rush her by an ambulance to a larger hospital closer to DC. And they, two days later, they do surgery, take it out. And two days later, we're home. And then we wait and we waited for a couple of weeks for them to do the biopsy results and they had trouble typing it. But it turns out it's a very rare form of cancer. Only about 50 teenagers a year in the world are diagnosed with it. And that started a journey. You know, after the surgery, we do the radiation and we, we move to Baltimore for almost two months and live in the Ronald McDonald house there while we're doing the treatments. And it's a, it's a process. It's a journey. But you know what that season taught me? One of the, one of the things I walked away with was, you know, during that time, I was not worried about what was happening at work. I was not worried about that quarter's goals or making sure we hit our targets or that the KPIs were getting accomplished. I was focused on the relationships that mattered most, the ones closest to me. Now, now she's doing great. I'll give you the, 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 the story of today. She's doing great. <laughs> Glad to hear um, that. The treatment was, was great. The doctor's care was fantastic. And awesome. we're now after over three years past the, the window for likely recurrence is three years. We're now past that. She just graduated high school and she's heading to college this fall. And so that's, that's, uh, that's exciting. I mean, we're, we're, we're so grateful for that. Yes. But I'll tell you that story to illustrate the truth that that's so often, unless something like that happens, it kind of wakes us up and kind of jars us a little bit. We are liable to lose sight of that simple truth that the priority is, is those who matter most to us. And when we lose sight of that and we begin to put our priorities somewhere else, we begin to put our priorities on, on work, on a job that one day somebody else is going to have, somebody else is going to do it. Then we begin to misplace what the main things are. Man, I'm sorry that you had to go through that, but I've, fortunate that it happened to a person like yourself because you're the type of person that can learn from that and then do what you're doing and share those experiences with other people to tell them how important family is yeah. because yeah like too many people care about oh yeah i worked 80 hours this week and i i got this bonus and check out my car and stuff and like guess what when you die yeah none of that matters 
Nope. The, the only thing that matters, like you're saying, is the relationships that are left behind. Um, I saw a, a clip of Keanu Reeves, and he was asked the question, what happens when we die? And his response was, I, I don't know, but I do know that the people that love us will miss us. Mm. And that, that's what matters, mm. right? Like well, whenever we die, it's not like we think about what's going to happen at work. Yeah. <laughs> we, we care about the ones that are closest to us. That's it. Yeah. You're building your legacy every day. I'm happy your your daughter's okay and and got through that. That is me too. That I mean something that rare. That's wow. I feel for you, and I'm, I'm glad deal. everything's okay. Yeah. Yes, yeah, it is a she's, big deal. She's doing great. Good. Glad to hear that. So, where not to change the subject? Yeah. No, please. <laughs> but, well, I guess it's really not changing it that that much. Where where do you think? a lot of us have lost that balance between uh, knowing what relationships ma- truly matter and, and what, what don't, you know, I feel like there's a, a fine line, you know, where there's, if, if you don't give enough to your boss, if you don't give enough to your company, then, you know, you're going to be looking for a new one soon. And now then that puts stress on your relationship with your family. Right. And so I feel like there is a sort of middle ground juggling that has to happen. Yes. And by, I 100% agree that the being family focused is 100% the way to go. But I think, is that where we've gotten confused sometimes is that we've valued our paycheck so much to then be able to do things and buy things for our family, as opposed to, cause I, I feel like you see in movies all the time where, you know, the kids that have the dad that's never home or whatever, mm-hmm. all they wanted at the end of the day, they didn't want the nice house. They didn't want the car. They didn't want all the technology and stuff. They just wanted their dad to be around. They just wanted him to show up to a baseball game or something. It's, is that where the confusion is? Is just the we've all of a sudden valued money too much, valued our paycheck, and are doing way more than we need to to keep that, as opposed to finding something that allows us to be family focused. I think that's part of it. I think there's there's a couple of things that come to mind here. First, I think it's important to note what you said a second ago, which was I'm not advocating that you abdicate your responsibilities at work. <laughs> that's that's important. <laughs> right. Um, you know, when I, when I talk about being family focused in a, in a leadership coaching context, often a, a leader, a business leader will, will push back a little bit on that and say, yeah, well, if I do that, I'm going to be living out of my car in no time. Uh, and, and I get that. I do. What I'm not advocating for is abdication. It's a, a proper understanding of priorities. The, the key is, I think, understanding what matters the most. What are the priorities in your life? Too many people have never had this this conversation. They've never thought about what their priorities are. Once you determine your priorities, your priorities determine your choices and your decisions every day. Your decisions and your choices every day determine your actions every day. But if you don't have the priority structure set up intentionally, then your decisions and choices can be ad hoc, just, you know, well, whatever I feel like in the moment. Well, good luck with that. And then your actions are going to come out of that. Okay, well, good luck. Because that's that's going to lead you all manner of places. You're going to be utterly inconsistent and incoherent, really, in an overall view of what you're trying to accomplish. You start with priorities. You start with saying, what are the priorities in my life? What are the non-negotiables? I, I can talk about mine if you if you want to hear that, just to give you an idea. Would that be helpful? Yeah, sure. Sure. Okay. So, so I'm a person of faith. So you should know that up front. Right. And so for me, my relationship with my heavenly father, that's first priority, hands down, non-negotiable. That's number one. I'm married. My relationship with my spouse is number two. Right. I have kids. My kids are number three. Then comes everything else. That's the priority structure. I don't have to ever decide that again. 
That decision is made. Mm -hmm. That's the priority structure. From that comes the choices and decisions that I make on a daily basis, which drives the actions that I take. The problem comes when this priority structure is ill-defined or when we define it, but we start playing Django with it and we start moving stuff around. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's going to create far more problems than you think it's going to solve. You might think in the moment, well, this will this will make me feel better, or this will make someone else feel better for the moment. Yeah, but you've 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 completely altered the landscape by doing that. This, the priority column has to be static, it has to be firm, it's pre-decided because that's going to drive everything else. Does that make sense? No, oh, yeah. Definitely. That's a great example. Yeah, too many people have their job at the top of the list. And yes. and, and they're a parent. Yes. It's yes. Like, what? Yeah. Uh, or parents or parents put their kids at the top of the list. I hear that a lot. My kids are the most important thing in my life. You ever heard anybody say that? I, I, yep. have. I have. Yeah. Okay. What? <laughs> what did what did you just say about your marriage? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. That it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, not healthy. I know. You know, that's... you know what the best gift you can give your kids is? A healthy marriage. Yep. <laughs> That's yep. the best gift you give your kids, okay? When you start playing Jenga with that, Katie, bar the door because it's about to get ugly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It, when I was uh, when I was studying for for life coaching, a couple of the, the courses that I had to go through talk about that right there. How some people value their kids above their marriage, and it's like, listen, with without <laughs> the parents coming together and having a good relationship to show the kids, teach them, and to influence them, like. You don't have anything like then a couple of years down the road, the parents won't even be together. And then now mm-hmm. what have you created? So yeah. Right. Prior to, uh, it blows my mind, whatever the job or the kids are above mm-hmm. the other stuff. I know I got, I got two things there. The one I, I if you remember William, when we were talking on the phone, uh, my wife and I are involved in a, a marriage prep ministry uh, yeah. through, through our church. And so yeah. one of the big, big, things with that is, is the emphasis on, you know, continuing to date your wife after kids and after everything, because it even kind of goes back to when we were talking about glass house mentality or glass house leadership, right? It's uh, you have to have or exhibit or show that strong marriage. uh, Exactly right. Because with that, with that absence, then like you said earlier, you know, your kids do what you do and not what, what you say. So they're, they're totally not even having that foundational example of, of what it should look like. So they get into it. They have no idea what it's supposed to be. That's because they've never um, seen it. <laughs> exactly. And then the other question I had was for, for the people that put their kids at the top that are the most important thing. Do you think that is on a kind of an endless cycle, a generational cycle where that that dad or that mom that puts them, their kids at the top was neglected by their parents. So they want to be like, my dad was never, he never showed up to my soccer game. So I'm going to be at my kid, everything, even if that means I get fired from my job or I skip this and get that. Do you think it's a, a generational thing? It certainly could be. How many decisions are made out of pain of unresolved past trauma? Right. And we make decisions in a reactionary way, trying to fix something in the past, trying to time travel. Guess what? You uh, you don't have a flux capacitor. You're you're not going to fix that with something you're doing today. You're just not. I think I think about when when I went transitioned from the business world into into church ministry just over 25 years ago. I remember working a lot in, in going to seminary and, and learning a lot about marriage and marriage ministry and, and helping people to prepare for marriage. And what they what they told us then was that the, the danger zone, if you will, for marriages was the first five, six years that, you know, if, if you make it past to year seven, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed you're going to keep going. You know, but that first five, six years, that's the that's the danger zone. That's when you're more likely to divorce. That's not true anymore. It used to be true 25 plus years ago, 30 years ago. You know when the danger zone is now? It's 20 plus years. It's like 20, 25. Wow. You know why? That makes sense. Because they've poured into their kids and they put their kids first for so long. Mm-hmm. And then the kids do what kids do. 
<laughs> they go, they, they launch. <laughs> and then you're looking across the breakfast table at somebody you don't know anymore. Yep. Now what? Wow. Now what? You haven't intentionally invested in this relationship for 20 years. Now what? You don't know them. They don't know you. The funniest thing I ever hear with a couple is, well, he's changed. She's changed. Yeah. So have you. <laughs> Hope so. Yeah. <laughs> There's no time machine. You didn't just like pour it in from 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. Exactly the same. You both changed. That's life. Life changes us. The good, the bad, the ugly. Of course they've changed. And of course you have too. Have you changed together? That's the question. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. I mean, I'm, if you guys are good with that, I'm good with that because that was, like I said, it's just, William, you just had nuggets coming out all over the place. <laughs> Sounds a little scary, man. I don't know. <laughs> well, th- these are the golden nuggets, not the McDonald's nuggets. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> these are the ones you could sell. They get the computer chips, <laughs> reusable nuggets. <laughs> well, I hope it's helpful. I, re- I hope this is what you guys are looking for. Really. Oh, absolutely. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, and, and just so we can get you your time to, to promote your book and stuff like that, tell everyone, you know, about your book, how to contact you, do a little promo section for yourself. Go for it. <laughs> you can find out more about the, the leadership coaching that I do and the speaking that I do. If you go to catalyticleadership.net, you can connect with me there. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Just look for William Attaway. And for your podcast listeners, I would love to offer a free copy of my new book. If you go to catalyticleadershipbook.com, I will put a paperback copy of this book in your hands. If you can just cover the cost of shipping. My goal is to get this into as many hands as I can, because when a leader gets better, everybody benefits from that. I love that quote from Craig Rochelle. I believe that with every fiber of my being, and I want to help families. I want to help departments and teams and companies and churches, every organization get better. That's why I spend my time investing in and helping leaders to get better. That's excellent. William, thank you so, so much for your time, your insight, your perspectives. Um, And I wish you the best in continuing this coaching journey, this book journey that you're on, this leadership journey, because more people need need to hear the perspectives uh, that you have. So continue to share that and continue to grow and greatly appreciate your time. Nico Tyler, I really appreciate the opportunity, truly. And uh, if I can ever be of service to you guys in any other way, please let me know. Uh, I just appreciate the opportunity to do this. 